it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, Pinks. Hi. How are you? How have you started your day today? Well, I actually started my day by going to bed at 2.30 this morning and then up at 6.30 for the school run and then a giant bowl of porridge. And I feel fantastic. (laughs) Now, why porridge? Is this something you have every day of the week? Well, absolutely, but only because I'm inspired by one Valtteri Bottas, (laughs) who swears by the stuff, and won, after a year of not winning, a World Porridge Day. (laughs) Do you know what, though? I have to say, doing the F1 Nation podcast with you, Tom Clarkson, is a lovely way to start my week. (laughs) I definitely go back to bed after I've done it, because I'm knackered. And to do it with you, Natalie Pinkham, is a joy as well. Now, you say you're knackered. There was a rumour going round the paddock, started by one Danny Kvyat, that you had a slightly restless weekend. Is that true? I mean, you're going to have to clear that one up because that's how rumours start if Kvyat is talking (laughs) about my sleeping habits. (laughs) But yes, I, I, I posted on Instagram my nightly routine as a sleepwalker that I have to barricade myself in to whichever hotel we're in because I sleepwalk every night. And what I try to do is is form some sort of assault course so that if I am indeed walking towards the hotel door, I bang my shins and it wakes me up. So I've got really bruised shins, but my dignity is just about intact. Oh, Pinks. He said to me, he said, Tom, Natasha has been sleepwalking again. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the F1 Nation podcast with me, Natalie Pinkham, and my dear friend, Mr. Tom Carson. Bottas crosses the line to win the Turkish Grand Prix. Well done. Dominant performance. Great stuff. <laughs> yes. Ooh, thank you. That's fun. Hi, Valtteri's James. Great drive. Really, really well done. Thank you. Cheers. Good job. Yeah, great job, Valtteri. Brilliant, brilliant effort. Max Verstappen comes home to finish second as he increases his championship lead over Lewis Hamilton. What position am I in, man? Currently P5. You should have come in, man. A massive graining, man. I told you. That was one serious motor race yesterday. Now, you spoke to Lewis Hamilton straight afters. Out of 10, how was his mood? He wasn't actually as grumpy as I thought he'd be. You know, he's always quite emotional straight off the back of the race, as you would expect any of them to be. But he was reflective, is maybe the right word. It's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because you, you you heard a lot more emotion in the car. He clearly wasn't happy about Merck's call on strategy. You've got to say that it was great watching him carve his way through the field from 11th. I mean, that battle with Checo was just brilliant to watch. And that Mercedes looked so good, didn't it? So fast. All weekend. And on rails, all weekend. It was a joy to watch. 
this track just never dried. There was never any breakthrough in the cloud or this drizzle. There was just this heavy, wet mist hanging over Istanbul Park Circuit. And had we just had a slightly drying track, things could have been so different. And I would have loved to see what he could... Oh, well, he would have won the race. He would have won the race if he'd been able to put slicks on. And that's what he was holding out for, right? Is that why he was delaying his pit stop? I, I presume so. I mean, I guess from 11th, you've got to try something a bit different and be a bit aggressive. I know some people accuse Mercedes of perhaps being a bit conservative or erring on the side of caution when it comes to strategy. But actually, they didn't. They said, well, let, let's go longer. Let's not go for what everyone else is doing. Let's try something a bit different. But the problem is it was sort of too little too late because of these intermediates just not kicking straight in. And actually all the field were able to learn a lot from Daniel Ricciardo switching onto them because he thought, well, I'm definitely going to get more pace out of the new Inters. Surely anything's got to be better than this. But they didn't. Because for anyone who didn't watch or, or, or didn't know what was going on with these new Inters, they have a sort of seven lap process of almost bedding in and becoming fully operational. So you have to take the pain in order to enjoy the game. So he took the pain, but didn't get the benefit of it because by then it was the end of the race. Mm, absolutely. So right. had he come in earlier, he would have endured that process and then he would have been able to enjoy the benefits of it. Well, a quick chat with Andrew Shovlin, who is Mercedes chief engineer at the racetrack after the race, revealed to me that it wasn't really anyone's fault. You could understand why Lewis wanted to stay out because at that stage of the race, when they first called him with 18 laps to go, he was only three seconds behind Max Verstappen, who'd already pitted. His tyres felt okay. He wanted to stay out. And so that was the messaging they were getting from the car. And yet they were, of course, nervous about the Inters, as you've just said, falling off a cliff and then him not getting the benefit of a new set. And ultimately, Andrew said, in a championship battle, I'm quoting him now, in a championship battle, there is a point where you have to stop taking risks and cut your losses. And that's where they were yesterday. Because just imagine if he'd stayed out on that original set of Inters and then he'd had a puncher, you know, on the last lap or the penultimate lap. They couldn't risk that. So hence, fifth was better than a DNF. Yeah, and fifth isn't a bad result. You know, he was always going to be on the back foot with that penalty for the ICE. I mean, it's a shame, isn't it, that he had to take that because when you saw the Mercedes dominance all weekend, I mean, he would have just run away with victory, surely, uh, putting it on pole, doing everything asked of him. And actually to come away fifth and a decent haul of points isn't a disaster. He does lose the lead again in the championship, but only by six points. What I don't want, and I'm sure I speak for most of the fans when I say this, is I don't want is a championship decided on reliability. Yeah, well, and let's hope. So Max took his new power unit in, in Russia two weeks ago. Lewis has taken a new ICE uh, here in Turkey. Let's hope that that sees us to the end of the year and we get a clean run. Now, Pinks, you, you've, got, you've actually got a stat that you mentioned to me earlier. I can't remember what it was. but So the points difference now is six. And what kind of a sway have we had in the last few races? Because it's really tight. Don't be disheartened if you're a Lewis Hamilton fan that he's six points behind. But equally, don't be too confident if you're a Max Verstappen fan because it's only six points. OK, so just to give anyone who's been living under a rock a sense of just how tight this championship is, Bahrain, Hamilton was leading. It was obviously the win. 
Verstappen came second. So 25 points to 80. Get to Monaco and it's Verstappen leading by four points. Hungary, Hamilton's back in the lead by eight points. Netherlands, it's back to Verstappen. Russia, it goes back to Hamilton. And then Turkey, it's back to Max by six. I mean, it just... It's just extraordinary, isn't it? So close, so close, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, it doesn't show any signs of stopping. I think that's what's so thrilling about this. But that's why I want to see it decided on the track, because these are two of the greatest drivers of their generation, if not all time, you know, and they're, they're battling it out tooth and nail. And there's so much respect still. When you see them together, certainly in, in my little world in the press conference room, there is genuine respect. The banter is free-flowing. After qualifying, they were talking about, Lewis was asking uh, Max about what it's like, uh, you know, to live in a house with a, with a young child. Of course, Max's partner, Kelly, has, has a, a young child. And, and they're just easy banter between them. It's really, you kind of want, I was kind of hoping there'd be a bit of an edge by this point of the season. But I genuinely think there isn't because the respect is so genuine. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question, though. Which car would you rather be in now? Well, now, Pinks, we have a guest joining us very shortly, and I think he would be the best man to answer that question because, of course, we've got nine-time Grand Prix winner Mark Webber joining us. But given that you have just asked me that question, I would like to be in a Mercedes. I think there has been a huge shift in the last three races. It's something that Christian Horner, Red Bull boss, said after the race as well. The straight line speed of that Mercedes was incredible around Istanbul Park. With The DRS wasn't enabled at any point of the race because of the conditions. Yet he was, Lewis Hamilton was 15, 20 k's an hour faster than Sergio Perez without DRS. Now, when we go to some of the tracks coming up, Austin, really long back straight in two weeks' time. I think that's going to be devastatingly effective. So... Mercedes looking really fast. Back to uh, the conversation I had with Andrew Shovlin after the race as well. He said, I think we've got a car that can win the world championship now. He said earlier in the year, we were nervous with the two programs we've got running. Of course, the current one, but also looking ahead to 2022. We were worried that we were going to be running out of steam by this stage of the season. Yet we've proved that we not only... Have we not run out of steam? We've actually found performance from the car. So I think Merck is really strong. How about you, Natalie? No, I'm with you on that. Mercedes took a decent step forward at Silverstone and do look like the quicker car. I mean, I thought they looked the quickest they've been all season in Turkey. Seriously impressive. But there's been various issues hampering their, their progress, which means that Verstappen is still leading the championship. Having said all of that, and yes, Austin certainly seems to lend itself well to the Mercedes and it's a happy hunting ground for Lewis. But Mexico has got to be a Red Bull circuit, hasn't it? That Honda Turbo compensating for the altitude that they experience there. But you know what? You're right. There is someone far better suited to answering this question than either you or I, and that's Mr. Mark Webber. Should we let him in? Please do. <laughs> He's in the waiting room. There he is. There he is. Ooh. <laughs> G'day. Well, hello, Mr. Weber. How lovely to see your face again. It's been a full 12 hours since I last saw it. That's right. That's right, Pinks. Yeah, we were ringside for a miserable, well, weather-wise anyway, it was a miserable weekend in Turkey, wasn't it? It was pretty, um, un- we thought it was going to be an unpredictable race, but it turned out to be a bit of a formality, didn't it? It's strange, actually. We described it as a bit of a holding pattern above Gatwick Airport, where you've just got this big grey mizzle misty drizzle 
and it didn't shift and it was just it was so annoying wasn't it because you wanted to throw in different variables which we weren't able to enjoy because nothing changed I was having a few conversations before the race with some engineers who were saying, yeah, yeah, we, we, we're expecting we might be able to uh, change to dry tyres on about laps 10 to 15. They, it seems that no one expected it to take so long to dry. Well, that's the memo Seb got anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes me feel better, TC, because I, I, I made several howlers in commentary because trying to read it, trying to judge how quick the track was going to dry. Of course, we wanted something to change because naturally, you know, we're all neutrals and we want to see some action. But I think the guys were as frustrated as we were. The drivers were trying to make something happen, but the conditions just were so, and it was just, I think, humid, mate. A lot of moisture in the air. The track didn't change and around and around they went. And before they knew it, the checkered flag came out. And to put it into layman's terms, Mark, these inters, because, you know, no one wants a race decided by the temperature of the rubber. But can you explain? I mean, can, can we at least hope that this is just very specific to those conditions in Turkey? Absolutely. It's not going to happen again, is it? I think that was uh, really uh, an unusual scenario with, first of all, the track last year, we know, was like an ice rink. So they made some adjustments. They did that sort of sandblasting or some you know, type of treatment they gave the whole circuit, which is fair play. They, they certainly reacted to last year's challenges that the drivers had. And then in the wet conditions, I mean, they were still doing one minute 31s, 32s, like towards the end of the race. So the actual speed was actually quite high, but the track itself, for whatever reason, given even how much, you know, all the cars were running, as you know, normally when a Grand Prix starts uh, without much circulation, the track has to respond and, and dries out. But without getting too boring and technical, it just didn't dry up. So the guys were, I find that's very, uh, it's a very unusual Grand Prix, caught everyone out. And I don't, I think we, we can seek a bit of comfort pinks. We're not going to see a race like that on like the, one set of inters on off on for the whole race. It was just extraordinary. Now, Mark, put your helmet back on. Imagine you were driving Lewis Hamilton's car in the race. What would you have done strategy-wise? Well, I think that as usual, Lewis did everything. I mean, like generally he's, calling all the right shots, right? Especially in those conditions, he's very much seat of the pants. He's, he's got a tremendous amount of experience and general composure to back his confidence and skills. And with Bono on the pit wall to make the right calls at the pivotal time, which he did last year. He made them all look stupid last year. You know, everyone pitting in front of him. He ran the inters down. He picked the right time. And he went on to win his seventh world title in, in what was a very challenging Grand Prix last year. Fast forward 12 months and... I think what he was trying to do, mate, I mean, you know, he came through the field. He had a little bit of, you know, robust defending from first from from Sonoda, then from <laughs> um, Perez. So the Red Bull guys did their bit. Um, so he got through those little landmines and then he just settled in. And, and then the race, sort of, as Pinky said, is sort of just neutralized for a while. Was he then waiting to try and get to a slick? You know, was it then like, please, come on, give me another opportunity, another bite of this cherry to say, okay, this track's going to change again. I'm going to pivot across on to then hopefully everyone go on to drives with the last sort of 15% on the Grand Prix. But he sort of got himself a bit half pregnant, did he? Because he went down that road. He went longer than anyone to think, okay, he's going to try and get home on this tyre now. And um, it didn't work. He was starting to lose too much time, um, as was Ocon, so who was in a similar situation to him. So the people that pitted to bail a bit early, like the, I think it was I think it was the Norris's mate, the Alonso, some of those guys. I know Fernando wasn't in the picture, but there was a few guys that sort of just carved the, the race out in a different way on the inters, which was again very, very hard, a very hard call. Yeah, so mate, I could never ever put myself in Lewis's cockpit because obviously I would have been always a minute behind him trying to keep up with him. But um, 
I think, look, he tried. I think he was looking to get onto that dry, and then ultimately he's like, Bono, well, why have we done this so late now? Because then it just it, it was it just didn't work. They went out, they grained up, and he couldn't even react against Perez. And he was on the offense against Gasly and Norris. But you only had to look up to the sky to see there were no breaks in the clouds. The temperature was very steady. These were the conditions that we were just going to have to put up with for the next, you know, eight hours, let alone two. Yeah. No, you're right, Pinky. I mean, even leaving the track, it was still, didn't it, just closed in. It was yeah. uh, it was bizarre. Anyway, wow, Valtteri drove a great Grand Prix off the front. I think that my little concerns off the back of all that are, you know, have Red Bull, are they giving Max the car, closing this championship out? Because I think that, you know, I would have lost a lot of money for Valtteri to have the measure of Max in those conditions. I thought, you know, Verstappen would, would uh, run rings around him all day long, but he couldn't react to the speed of Valtteri. So it was interesting, I think, in terms of just performance, dry and wet. I think Red Bull know they need to react to the Merck pace. Now, whether it's with these new engines that Merck have put in the back of the car or there's some aero or whatever's going on, but Max is really hanging in there, I think, with some people. You know, they had a shunny Monza, but I think Russia drove brilliantly, obviously, and that's all he could get out of the car in, in Turkey as well. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Season. Well, I think right now you'd have to you'd have to think that the Merck has the advantage. I just think the tracks that they've just been to. Don't forget, Valtteri stormed a pole in Monza. He would have had the penalty, so he could have done what he did in Turkey as well. Uh, disappeared at that race without the penalty. So I think they're just starting to get a little bit more of a spring in their step at this crucial part of the championship, which is you know it's a, it's it's well it depends who you like to you know to do well. But um, I mean I'm. You know, I'd love to go to Abu Dhabi, obviously. And, and, you know, I think that we all, you know, I don't have a problem with Lewis's trophy cabinet whatsoever. I think he thoroughly deserved it. It's extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. And I'm a Lewis fan, but ultimately I would also, of course, I think Max thoroughly deserves his first world title. It's long overdue and he's, he's driving, if not the best, certainly, you know, matching Lewis, you know, part, you know, pound for pound, you know, most weekends. Is it track specific though? I mean, can we take any heart from the fact that we haven't been able to make predictions up until this point. And actually, for the final six races, we say that Austin favours Lewis. We say that Mexico favours the Red Bull. But actually, we just don't know in 2021. No, it's been random, hasn't it? Having said that, I think you're right, Ping. I think that Austin will be, the Merck could be strong there. Lewis is also, he's got a great form card there, personally, at uh, that venue. But then you go to the altitudes of, sort of Mexico and Brazil. Red Bull have had tremendous uh, results there in the past. So, and there's nothing in the points. Six, is it now? Nothing. So, you know, it's it's been an extraordinary championship. Here we are trying to dissect how and why it's going to close out. I think that, you know, you'd be a brave man or woman to try and predict, is someone going to dominate the back end of this season? I think it's just not going to happen. I think we're going to have some twists and turns. We're seeing the teammates now play some roles. Are their horns going to get even bigger? Who knows? In terms of them stepping up and some wacky strategies. Mark, let's look elsewhere uh, in the race yesterday. Because, okay, one and two, Mercedes, Red Bull, nothing to choose. What about this battle for P3 in the constructors? McLaren against Ferrari. Unless I'm reading this very wrong, Ferrari looked really strong yesterday. They were good in Russia. Are they getting some momentum now? 
yeah, I mean, Leclerc was very, very handy in qualifying, dry conditions. It was a very, very good lap from him. There's no question about that. He was also, I spoke to him, you know, off air to a degree, and he said, like, a bit worried about the lower downforce levels in the wet Grand Prix. You know, Carlos drove awesome. You know, um, Leclerc was there for most of the Grand Prix, marking Verstappen, for God's sake. So, you know, the top three, there wasn't much with, between them for a, for a long period of that race. So I think Ferrari are having a little bit of a, an upturn, closing the back of this year off, mate. I think that McLaren, we're now off the back of Daniel's win, which was awesome. Lando, you know, nearly in Russia. Um, so, you know, McLaren have missed some big opportunities, only with Lando, but McLaren have missed a few big opportunities. But in general, it's been a tremendous battle between those two. So I don't, I don't really know. I think that the McLaren seems to be a little bit track sensitive. You know, it, it certainly didn't really turn up in Turkey, did it? Um, it likes the lower downfall sort of levels by the looks of it, quick in Monza. You know, Rush is a little bit in the middle, so they were very quick there with a pole from from Norris. I just think McLaren, look, they've just they've just had a a, a long rough phase, haven't they? And I just like to see them. They've worked so hard that you saw the emotion come out in Monza. All the members of staff just it was just so good to see. So I'd like to see them capitalise on on the constructors in third place there. And I just think operationally, I know they've had a few rugby pit stops and a few things here and there. Their starts are good. I think that they're they're very good internally in terms of you know reflecting on their mistakes and, and the communication. I think is good around that. I just think that Ferrari, I think both their drivers are an advantage over Lando and Daniel at the moment. Daniel's still not quite firing. We want him to sort of bring a bit more to the table, but I think operationally McLaren just have that little bit more calmness and firepower. How concerned will Daniel be after this weekend? I watched his race closely, you know, after he stopped, I thought that first set of inches, obviously he was trying to do something different, which was totally the right thing to do. He was, he was in traffic after the, you know, obviously tricky quality. And then they thought, okay, we'll do the penalty and give some fresh stuff, which was actually a you know, sensible call by the looks of it. And those conditions were right up his alley in the past. He loved those changeable conditions. He was always magical in them. And he was, I mean, the mistake factor is very low from Daniel. He rarely makes errors, um, which he still does now. You know, he's still making errors, but the speed is not there that we know that he has so I think that a little bit of comfort Pinky in terms of Lando was not on fire either on the weekend like the McLaren did look tricky overall you know it wasn't it wasn't the best track for them by any means they weren't in their normal sort of fighting to on the fringes of podiums for God's sake Lando in general so that was a long way off for them on the weekend so knuckle down again go to America I know he loves competing in the States so let's see if Austin can be another sort of change of gear for him in terms of trying to get on top of this car Pinks, didn't you do something with the Ferrari drivers during the build-up to the race in which you said, uh, so which of you two is going to finish ahead in the, in the Drivers' Championship? And what were, what were their answers? I thought it was quite revealing. Okay, so, I, well, I think the crucial part of this game, it's, it's just a take on Mr and Mrs, which you may have seen on telly, but it's Mr and Mr. You have to go back to back and then you, you're asked a question of which the answer is either Carlos Sainz or Charles Leclerc. The point is, is that you have to get the same answer in order to get a point. So you can't go on what you feel. You have to go on what you genuinely believe the answers to be and what you think your teammate's going to say. So it's just a bit of fun. And, and we, we put them back to back and we gave them a paddle with each other's faces on it. And, you, you know, the first question was, who's the best looking? And they both had to hold up a paddle, but they couldn't see what the other one had said. If they both said the same person, they get a point. Who do you think they said was the better looking, by the way, before I go any further? Well, themselves. Surely. No, they both said Charles. <laughs> what made me laugh is Charles was like well you know it's very difficult but I have to say me <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like well, you know, wow. he backs himself okay. anyway my last question to both of them was who is going to finish ahead in the drivers 
Now, obviously, this is a really tough question because they've got to answer it right in order to get a point. I thought it was such a telling moment because they both said Charles. And I couldn't believe it when I actually saw them high five one another. I thought Carlos is high fiving Charles for winning the championship. It's sort of inter-team battle. Uh, and he goes, he was more interested in getting a point for this silly little game that we've got for the F1 show. I think that's quite revealing. I don't, yeah. oh, you can overanalyze everything, can't you? By the way, I think they're both right on both of them. I think they're actually, I think, yeah, Charles is better looking and he's going to get more points. So <laughs> crack on. And you have to remember that Charles didn't even start Monaco where he was on pole. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yep. Yeah. A lot of points gone there, son. Oh, that seems a long time ago, doesn't it? Yeah. We were saying, TC, um, in commentary, David Coulthard myself, about how when everyone else pitted the other day and he was leading in the first time, well, not the first time, he's led, obviously, in his one Grand Prix, we know that, but just he started to lock up into that far hairpin, didn't he? So it's just sometimes there's still that level of composure that is just maybe there's still a little bit more finessing to do there with, with Charles when, when the heat starts to get piled on. But he was so cool in the junior formulas, wasn't he? It's... Yeah, but F1, you know. mate, it's high altitude, mate. It's like top of Everest. You can be cool beside the beach, mate, but up at Everest, you know, the margins are everything, aren't they? So that's F1. Well, hey, Mark, while we're talking uh, about that comparo between the junior formulas and Formula One, I love seeing you trawling the paddock in your role as, as I don't know what we call you, Mark. You look after the interests of Oscar Piastri, don't you, who's currently leading Formula 2, doing a fantastic job there. Look, what's the lookout for him next year? Because there's so many people in the paddock think he deserves a crack at Formula 1, yet there's only one seat available at Alfa Romeo. Is Piastri going to be in it? Well, uh, you're right, mate. He's doing a tremendous job and has been doing for quite a few years now. Um, so won the Formula 3 last year, uh, leading the Formula 2 championship this year. There's no guarantee he's going to win it, but he's, in, he's got the most points at the moment and he's certainly enjoying driving the car and the form is with him. People follow teams, yes, but they love following drivers as well. So I think that, you know, with Oscar, Alpine are very, very keen on him. Alpine do not want him to slip through their fingers, to say the least. They're, they're sort of uh, looking to try and re-engage and, and commit to the future. Um, it's not done yet, but they're trying very, very hard to keep Oscar happy uh, for the future. And that's something that we're going through um, as we speak. So that's got to still a while to go. But He's done everything right so far, mate. I think that he there won't be one more level of patience required. The alpha seat is moving around. We see now Andretti uh, floating around in terms of maybe investment. So, wow, it's it's an interesting last seat, mate, in terms of dynamic. But does he deserve to be in F1? Absolutely. We all know that. The media have been brilliant. The other driver, even Charles Leclerc the other day, is, you know, seeing him you know, highly about him, which was nice. So good to see the sport's in good shape, mate, with good young blood coming through. And Oscar will, it's not a question of if, but when. So how much influence do you have in all of this? How involved can you get in uh, securing him a seat for the future? Well, I think Pingy just tried to give it, I suppose, a level of credibility and, and, and reinforce the, the reasons why Oscar will be the right thing for their operation or the team. I mean, Alpine don't need any more reminding of that now. They're, he's in their simulator a lot. He's driven the F1 car and will continue to do that for the rest of the year in some fashion or another. So that's fine. But it's just for, for me to, I suppose, yeah, cut through the 
you know, I suppose the the bullshit, I suppose, and just help the what he can bring to an organization. What is the what is the key factors he's going to make a difference within a team as a young driver? I mean, every team wants a driver that's young and quick and outstanding, but having done fifty or seventy Grand Prix, they don't really want to have that driver between zero and twenty Grand Prix because, of course, it's a learning experience. Like we just said before, you know, the junior category step to F one, which is how it should be. F one's not a finishing school; you have to arrive there as the best product you can can possibly be and then start committing straight away to the team's performance. And that's something which I believe Oscar will absolutely do. The more heat you put on him, the deeper water you put him in, the more laptops you put around him, the more people, he just starts to soak that up. And some drivers go the other way. Junior categories, they like it, but when you start to put the heat on them, they don't like it. So I just like trying to reinforce that. Uh, Pinky and and um and then also his best interest, knowing where the market is, what his value should be, um, and just making sure that you know he's he's um well protected on that sense. That's great. Another string to your bow. I mean, it's uh it's impressive. Mark learned from the best. I mean, Flavio Briatore managed <laughs> you, didn't he, Mark? Yeah. Well, uh, not a bad negotiator, Flavio. <laughs> TC, uh, you made this point, I think, on an earlier podcast that actually Alfa Romeo could benefit from a, a rookie when you when you've got Valtteri. It sort of leading the team, then it, it would be great to have someone like Oscar alongside him, wouldn't it? Well, I just think it's a really good time to bring in a rookie because we've got all of these technical changes. It's sort of levelling the playing field. Everyone's got to learn the car, whether you're Lewis Hamilton or a rookie. So he's going to start not as far back in terms of experience as he, he might do if, it, if he was starting at the beginning of 2021, for example. So I just wished that a team principal would would see that and give someone like Oscar an opportunity. But I'm getting the impression from you, Mark, that it's gonna have to, he's gonna have to wait 18 months. Well, mate, let's see. It's gonna be an interesting few months. Nothing is totally sorted yet. There's still a little bit of uh, shenanigans to be sorted out, and that and that could fall in his favour. Mark, can we just have you for a couple more minutes? Because there's two more people I wanted to ask you about, if we could. Uh, your old sparring partners, really. First of all, Sebastian Vettel. That call in Sunday's race to go for the slicks, what did you make of it? Foolish or, or worth rolling the dice? It was actually unlike him. He was never really the first one to pull the trigger when it come to doing that. Um, normally he would seek a bit of clarification from the pit wall in terms of someone else being the guinea pig and having a go. When you say in this situation being the guinea pig, I mean, he was a frigging rhinoceros, wasn't he? He tried something completely. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was just incredible what he was trying. Frack was soaked. Um, he spun at turn three. So, mate, I've got no idea. I've got really no idea what he was thinking. Do you think he just had nothing to lose? You know, this was, and you know, it's a very different stage in his career. He's driving for a very different team that aren't that competitive at the moment. He's thinking. Pinks, I think it cost him a points finish. I think he did have something to lose. Dan Ricardo running at the back, why not roll the dice? Mm. No, but Piggy drive, mate. Like, you know, I mean, look, Sebastian, two or four points, whatever. It doesn't, I mean, the team would care about that, but I think Sebastian's like, okay, if this does work, obviously it's so wildly, you know, from from probably being able to pull this off and get these tyres up to temperature and then keeping the thing on the black stuff. You know what? Even if you are really quick, trying to pass someone, the line was so narrow. He had to get those slicks off onto you know the damn stuff and get the move done. So yeah, it was a pretty it was a pretty audacious decision, and the result was pretty clear within 15 seconds. He knew that he he hadn't made the right call, but fair play, he gave it a go. 
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. However, it's special ingredient. I love a special ingredient. It's the beta-glucan Wellmune, which has been clinically proven in numerous trials to help reduce cold and flu symptoms. Now, I don't know about you, Pinks, but when we go to these long-haul races and then you come home feeling jet-lagged and it's cold and wintry at home, that is when the cold and the flu strikes, isn't it? Yeah, you really do have to keep that immune system as strong as it can possibly be. And that's what makes Sun's ultimate immune health supplement the perfect one for fighting viruses, maintaining energy and hydration, as well as recovery from sport or even a few hangovers and those long distance flights for UTC. So if you're already taking a multivitamin or looking for something to strengthen your immune system this autumn and winter season, then check it out. Sun's S-O-N-S co.uk and use the code F1Nation30 to get £30 off your first order. Ah, oh, we love a bargain. Now, Mark, I want to get your thoughts on Fernando because I don't think I've ever seen him in a better mood than he was on Saturday. And I asked him, is he driving better than ever? And he kind of said, yeah, you know, I'm just loving it at the moment. And it was just, I felt really disappointing to see that early contact with Gasly. I, I don't know what you think about the penalty Gasly picked up for, for that because it sort of seemed a bit unfair. But I, I was disgusted because I really thought Fernando could have been on for his first podium of the season. Totally with you. Totally with you, Pingy. I think that I was... Disappointed the contact to turn one two. I mean, again, I was sort of beginning up before the race, and then I don't, well, I don't think Gasly he had a bit of room on the inside. I mean, Perez there was a little bit more room, but I think he actually lost a bit of downforce on the front wing. He had another car sort of reasonably close as you do on the first corner, obviously. So I think it's hard for the FIA to dish out. I mean, Gasly's normally pretty, you know, collected when it comes to wheel to wheel battles. I don't see have too much uh, history with the incidents he's had. So he's not a first lap nutcase, is he? No. No, he's not. Yeah, tough penalty for him. Um, but I'm with you. I'm with you now. I think that Fernando, he is driving well. Has he got that last two tenths that Max and, and Lewis will have in qualifying? I don't think so. Has he got, the, of course, the knowledge and the nous and how to strip down and, and, and pull a race afternoon together? Unbelievable. But the guy is still a bit of a magician. We know that. He starts, he loves positioning the car in that first sector. If you go back through all of his onboards, he's always sniffing around that outside anyway. That's where he always is. You know, it's a, it can be a bit of a high-risk manoeuvre. Singapore all day long, he's down there. Barcelona has a look. Malaysia, you know, all this stuff. Because I guess what, I used to hang out with him a bit on the track. So I know where generally he would end up and be. And he's the last guy you want to be hanging out with for two hours in your mirrors or trying to, you know. And it was funny, we were having a chat with DC with him yesterday and there was a race where, because we sort of said, Fernando, you're actually, to be fair, he's got a pretty clean record of, you know, wheel to wheel. Justin had, he had the, obviously the incident with uh, Gutierrez in, in, in Melbourne down to turn three, that big one he had there. But in general, he hasn't been involved in too many incidents. And then DC goes, well, mate, he brake tested me at Nürburgring one year, you bastard. And, um, Fernando said, no, no, you just braked early. What happened? It was fine. It was fine, yeah. So I think I think DC exit stage right, you know, and that's what Fernando is good at. Whether he's behind you, he will be very good at, at finding a way to create pressure in unconventional ways. And then as we saw with Lewis in Budapest, when you're trying to pass him, he is the driver that mixes it up the most. 
he will be constantly mixing it up and just con- changing, you know, how for you to get in a rhythm behind him. He's very, very good. So um, let's see. Let's see how next year goes with a new car. That'll be interesting. The new car for him next year will be interesting because this year, you know, he's going to be floating around where he is and Alpine are doing a good little job with him. There's no question about that. But next year will be fascinating. If they come out with a rocket, he could be dangerous. Can you imagine if Oscar got a ride alongside Fernando Alonso at Alpine? That'd be awesome. How good would that be? So good, yeah. Yeah, learn from the master. Talking of which, I've learned a lot from you today, Mark Webber. Thank you very much. Oh, Last thing before you go, Max or Lewis for the championship? I want Max to win it, but I'm worried about the car. Pressure's on Milton Keynes to give Max the car. It's mouth-watering, isn't it? And it's just been ramped up a bit by the (laughs) former driver, Mr Mark Webber. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, <laughs> oh, Webbo, such a joy to speak to you. Thanks so much. Love Thanks, you guys. Mate. Take it easy. You too. Take care. Bye. Cheers, Mark. Bye. Oh, Pinks, what a joy to speak to that man. Oh, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. I, I love it because he sees it as a driver and a fan. I think he gives such a good perspective because... He genuinely loves the sport and wants the best show for everyone, but he just gives you a depth of insight that only a driver of his calibre can. Yeah, he gets it. And he's raced wheel to wheel with all of these people. Absolutely. Yeah, really good. Really good. So he's worried about the car. That is interesting. Well, if he's worried, I'm sure everyone at Milton Keynes is probably a bit edgy after the weekend. Well, Max is, isn't he? I mean, it's the first thing he said. He's like, I just I just need a bit more performance from this car. And, you know, at the beginning of the season, it was all about, wow, I finally got the car to deliver a world championship, or potentially deliver a world championship. It's just nice to be in the fight. And you don't want to see that ebbing away from him, do you? You just want it to be about driver versus driver. I know that's a bit, I'm being an idealist, but um, I think every fan feels the same. Well, Pinks, I feel we've almost done the 2021 Turkish Grand Prix. Any other thoughts? Oh, I had a Turkish massage. Did you have one when you were out there? No, I, I didn't. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, 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 wow. Did that involve a Turkish bath as well? So what you have to do is they lie you on a marble slab oh. and then they exfoliate your whole body. So they take at least three layers of skin off. Scrub, 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 scrub. Ouch, ouch. And then, no, sensational. And then they foam you up like you're this big ball of bubbles. And right. then they deposit <laughs> about five or six buckets of hot water on your head. It is incredible. I mean, you feel sort of 15 years younger and alive. Wow. Wow. The World Council is meeting this week to firm up plans for the calendar in 2022, which looks like being 23 races. It looks busy, doesn't it? I mean, really busy. Eight races in 10 weeks Yeah. at one stage. Do you know what, though, Pinks? I don't mind that if it means we end at the end of November, rather than this mid-December finish, which is the plan for next year. I I don't know. I do, look, I I know that it won't garner much sympathy from fans because they just want to see as much entertaining racing as possible. But I do worry about the mental health of a lot of the engineers and mechanics within the sport who are going to basically be away for most of the year from their family. And I think we have to take that into consideration it's tough if you've, if you've got a young family to be away from them. I mean, I'm lucky in as much as Sky are very sort of sympathetic and empathetic to my situation of having two young children. So we divvy up the races accordingly, but there's a lot who aren't. And I think we've got to get to a point where you just have to have two teams and we have to, you know, sub one in for the other 
and you, you know two teams are sort of running in parallel I know that McLaren and Mercedes are already doing this and Williams I, I believe as well but that, that's going to have to be the norm isn't it up and down the grid well except what do you do if you're Haas where you've got fewer resources that's the issue that is the issue and um mm. It's going to be hard. It's going to take its toll, but uh, I'm excited about it. I'm really excited about going to Miami. I think that sounds really cool. And I think there's um, some great racing coming up. And, I, you know, the, the fact that the regulation changes is so significant. It's a blank canvas, isn't it? So really excited about next year, but also slightly wary in terms of the intensity of the championship. Well, that's next year, isn't it? And we got the Circuit of the Americas in two weeks' time. Yeah, we've still got six races to go this one. Yeah, yeah, six points between them, six races to go, yeah. Can't wait. It's going to be great. Well, Pinks, great seeing you. You too, likewise. Get home safely, have some porridge in the morning and attack your week in true Bottas style. <laughs> well done, Valtteri, by the way. We, we need to say that once more. Flawless race and well-deserved. And don't forget your questions for the champ because he is back next week. Just send us your voice notes. Send them to askdamonhill at gmail.com and we'll play them out on the show. F1 Nation is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.